Welcome back to the 411 Podcasting Network. I am your host, Larry Zonka, and this is the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, and of course the 411mania.com website. Please make sure to subscribe and share the show around, and if you have time, leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And as always, we greatly appreciate all of our subscribers, as we know it is a packed marketplace for wrestling podcasts. Joining me as usual is my co-host, Jeremy Lambert. Jeremy, how are you? I am doing well, Larry. How are you? I am fantastic, Jeremy. It's been a good week, therapy and all that good stuff, and uh, catching up with you now to talk the world of wrestling. That's right. A lot going on in the world of wrestling. The G1 is in full force and plenty of news. It feels like it's been slow, but slow in wrestling isn't really a thing. There's always something to talk about. There really is. I mean, when you think about it, I mean, I always laugh when people are like, well, there's nothing really to talk about or... Well, there's nothing to watch. It's like if there's nothing to watch, you're definitely not looking. I yeah, mean, there's Jesus. there's plenty, plenty to watch. And even like even if the news isn't like huge, there's always news going on. So there's always plenty to talk about as well. Wrestling never stops. That's right. So we uh, we have plenty to talk about today. We got a full slate. We're going to talk uh, some WWE. We're going to talk some Impact Wrestling, a little AEW, and then we will catch up with some uh, G1 reviews. So plenty to talk about. Jeremy, we are going to start off with the new obsession. Uh, you know, Kevin Owens recently turned babyface after WWE course corrected after doing the short-term heel turn because Kofi needed a challenger. And uh, Kevin Owens now is the big anti-authority babyface. He's using the stunner. So now everybody, of course, is making the comparisons because it's a kind of second-tier McMahon versus Austin feud that Kevin Owens is the next Stone Cold Steve Austin. So I go to you first, Jeremy. Is Kevin Owens the next Stone Cold or not? No. Um, I think Austin said it perfectly. He's done a bunch of interviews and he's reiterated. I'm going to quote that here in a minute. (laughs) Yeah, he he said the same thing of there there is no next Steve Austin just like there's no next Hogan, there's no next Flair, like just like Kevin Owens be the next big thing. And like that that's what Kevin Owens can be. There's no sense in comparing him or anyone to like being the next whoever because it's just added pressure that doesn't need to be there and you're never going to recapture those moments and and that the, the antithesis of that character. So he's not the next Stone Cold Steve Austin, but uh, he's doing well for himself. Yeah. And uh, to bring up the Austin quote, he spoke with Sports Illustrated, and he was asked on if Kevin Owens is the next Stone Cold. And he said, and I quote, with Kevin Owens, don't throw my name on there. This guy can talk a lot of trash. He's great in the ring, and he's using my finisher. But hell, no one is going to be the next Steve Austin. I remember when people were saying I was going to be the next Ric Flair when I was in WCW. No one's ever going to be the next Ric Flair. And you're not going to see the next Hulk Hogan or the next Bret Hart either. It just doesn't happen that way. People like to say that because of the similarities. But what we should be saying is, I want this guy to be the next big thing. And then he spoke about giving permission for him to use the stunner. He said, quote, My finish was being used by someone else before I really made it famous or trademarked, so to speak. So I told him, go ahead and use the Stone Cold Stunner. And I think, like you said, and Austin puts it perfectly, um, yeah, it's like, let's just, let's try to make Kevin Owens a star. Let's not saddle him with a label. Um, you always get in trouble when you label people. Like, Drew McIntyre was going to be, like, the next big, he was the chosen one. Elijah Burke was going to be the next big thing. 
And you saddle these guys with these labels, and then if they don't impress right away, people shit on them. And you don't need the pressure of being called the next Stone Cold. You don't want to be labeled the next icon, the next Flair, the next Hogan. Now listen, in 10 years, if Kevin Owens goes on to have a fucking awesome career and draws ratings and wins a ton of championships and is over like a motherfucker and sells millions of dollars worth of merchandise, sure, we can say he was comparable to Stone Cold Steve Austin. But don't, yeah, don't throw that shit on him right away. Is he a Stone Cold-like character in that he's anti-authority and talking shit to a McMahon and using the stunner? Yes, we can say that. But the next Steve Austin, yeah, don't put unneeded pressure on him. Don't put unneeded expectations on the guy. And like I said, we just, we need to make stars. So let's just worry about, like he said, making this guy the next big thing. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I agree with Stone Cold. I agree with what you're saying. You don't need to do it just because he's using the stunner. Um, it's great that he's using it. And I like Austin's take on that of, you know, people were using it before me. I just kind of got it over. I, I'm sure you've seen this whole nonsense with uh, Dijakovic and, and Taz and Taz being like, you can't use that, bro. Like, you didn't reach out to me in the proper way and stuff. Like, dude, you're not the first person to use the, the Taz mission. Like, you didn't invent that hold. If he wants to use it, let him use it. Xbox actually said it. Like, it's cool that they ask, but they don't fucking need to. Like, let them use their shit. So uh, it, it's good that Owens is, is able to use it. He's It's an over move. Um, they're protecting it, unlike uh, other finishing moves from, from the past, like the super kick. Um, and Owens is doing well for himself. Don't don't say he's the next Austin, though, even though there are plenty of similarities. And that's honestly on WWE. Like, don't book him as quite almost the exact same as Steve Austin. And then you kind of won't get these comparisons quite as much. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I saw the Taz and Dijakovic thing, and I was just fucking laughed because Taz has always been that way. He's been, he was always, like, back in ECW, guys will, like, shoot interviews. They will talk about how just. Taz was a fucking asshole because he thought he was a legit tough guy because of how he was booked and he threw shit fits when guys were using different suplexes and it just, oh my God, just all that shit. It's like, get the fuck over yourself, man. It's like, yeah, it's awesome if somebody wants to reach out to you and says, hey, listen, out of respect, I was thinking about using this move and I know it was your gimmick and, you know, I just, I'd kind of like your blessing. You know, and it's just like, that's cool. Like, Jay Lethal did that with, like, the Randy Savage stuff. And, you know, apparently Randy Savage was a big fan of what Jay Lethal did. And it's cool when a guy reaches out. But, like, don't just throw a shit fit because you sound like such a child. And here's the thing. Like, Dijakovic did reach out. Like, he did it publicly. And I guess Taz was mad that, like, hey, you should do this privately. But maybe Dajakovic didn't have his number or Taz's DMs weren't open or something. So this was a way to get his attention and it worked. And then they spoke and they, they settled it. Like Taz handled it the wrong way because as you said, he was apparently a, a dick about this stuff. And I've heard reports of him like being mad at people who have done suplexes similar to him, like new guys, like like guys like Gable and Jordan and stuff. He's like, Oh, well he's using a Taz plex. Like, dude, you're not the first person to throw somebody on their head. Oh, whatever. Taz, Taz sucks. Taz hasn't thrown a fucking Taz flex in like a decade, so shut the fuck up, man. It's like, I, I, I get like when you're still in the business and trying to protect your gimmick, but like seriously, when was the last time Taz wrestled a match? I mean, 
you know, it's not like he's coming back due to his neck injury or anything. And it's, yeah, it's just like kind of, it, to me, it's one of those just get over yourselves kind of thing. It's, it, Taz it's had, ridiculous. Taz had a nice two year run in ECW and then he got put into a commentator's position in WWE. Like Taz takes himself, he couldn't even, I mean, maybe it's, this is his own fault. He couldn't even get like the Tommy dreamer run where he's just on every single damn show. Like, Taz has a very big head for a guy who he was a bigger fish in a, a smaller pond, but didn't actually accomplish anything. And I love Taz. Taz was fucking awesome in ECW, but know your place in, in the wrestling business. Yeah, exactly. And I, I just think, again, it's I appreciate people that take their work seriously, but don't, I mean, don't take yourself too seriously. You know what I mean? It's just you got to have some objectivity about this. And it's, again, it's, he's, you're not really in the business anymore, dude. You do a radio show now and you still talk some wrestling, but it's, it's just a fact that it's a new guy trying to get over and doing something a little different for himself, you know? And I mean, it's not like he's, like I said, it's not like Taz is coming back for a run anytime soon. So just, yeah, I, again, just, it's all very silly to me. So Jeremy, I made you watch WWE SmackDown or Smackville. Yeah, can, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna take everybody behind the scenes here as well because Larry gives me the rundown of of this show and he's like, we got all this news to talk about and, and then we're gonna do the the G1 stuff and I'm like, we are talking Smackville because you made this a point for me to watch at the end of the last podcast. I spent 14 hours in the sun on Saturday and I got home literally at nine o'clock. Like I took a shower and I sat down in the office at nine o'clock and I'm like, fuck, Smackville is starting. And I had to watch it because you requested it and you left it off the rundown for this episode, Larry. I have no Blood idea. Blood is I, boiling I, right no now. No idea what you're talking about. It's right here on my rundown. <laughs> I just, <laughs> no, I totally did leave it off the rundown, guys. I just... I uh, totally forgot about it, and uh, yeah, kind of tells you all you need to know about Smackville. But I mean, you know, <laughs> the best show in WWE history. Yeah, it was a hour televised house show. It was good for what it was. It wasn't anything special, but at least it wasn't bad. So uh, we had a match changed. Uh, Finn Balor was off the show because he was sick. So uh, we opened up with uh, Nakamura defending the IC title against Ali. And he wanted just over eight minutes. I thought it was, uh, I kind of hated that they burned the match here because then on SmackDown this, uh, tonight, Ali ended up defeating Nakamura in a non-title match to set up the rematch probably at SummerSlam. Um, but it was good for what it was. They worked well together. There wasn't a lot of drama and the crowd was kind of disappointed because there was no Balor, but perfectly good house show match. I actually thought it added more drama because if you put, Balor in that position you know he's losing maybe you get some some Bray Wyatt antics like we saw on Smackdown uh but you know Nakamura is winning that match Ali coming out and they even said like I know about capitalizing on opportunities or people capitalizing on my opportunities like I'm not gonna let this slip and you can theoretically do a title change here and make these network specials, which they might be doing more of, seem a little bit more more special. Um, so I thought it, it did have more drama uh, to the match. I'm with you that 
burning through this isn't great because there it's, it looks like they're going to do a rematch at SummerSlam and this that'll be their third match in like three weeks and that's an issue at WWE right now is it just feels like we've seen a lot of these matches uh, a lot in a short period of time uh, but otherwise I it was a good match it was you know perfectly acceptable house show match and, and I found it to have more drama for the reasons I mentioned. Fair enough. I, I I can see where you're coming from, and uh, yeah, but it was like I said, it was it was good. They they worked well together, and uh, they had a very short match on SmackDown. It was solid stuff again, and I think on pay per view if they get a little bit of time, could be pr- pretty good. To, you know, very good match. It just depends. Uh, SummerSlam is going to have like 90 matches on it, so who knows who's getting time and who's not. Yeah, uh, it's it's going to be a stacked card. It's going to be a long night, as it always is, with these big four shows. And hopefully an Ali and Nakamura get, get some time. Put them on the pre-show. I feel like the pre-show actually gets more time than anybody right now. Yeah, and I can see that one ended up on the pre-show, which as long as they get some time and have a good match, I'm fine with. You know. Yeah, just, for sure. You know, I mean, I, 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 I hate when sometimes, like, I hate when the cruiserweights are always, like, relegated to the pre-show. Because I think that they, it would be nice if they actually got a little main pay-per-view card exposure from time to time. But again, like a lot of the pre-show matches they had were great and they did get time. So it's kind of like Catch-22. It's like, do you really do you want the good to great match with a lot of time? Or do you want like seven minutes on the main card where they don't get to do anything? So yeah, like you said, if it gets time on the pre-show, I'm fine with it. So uh, Elias arrived next for his musical performance, complained about his audio levels, then sang a song about Shane McMahon, basically saying Shane needed more TV time and was deserving of being the champion. He answered his phone. It was apparently Vince McMahon who was watching, um, and then said Vince told him he could have as much time as he likes. Kevin Owens arrived, uh, steals his guitar, strums a bit, Elias bailed, and then they went ahead and set up a match. Kevin Owens won just under five minutes. It was okay. It was short. Kevin Owens won. It kind of further Shane versus Kevin Owens. And that was pretty much the goal, and the crowd loved Kevin Owens. Should have been shorter. Um, not, nothing wrong with the match. Uh, I just think Owens should have won maybe even quicker than he did. Like, Elias is nothing. He's he's a character. He's not really a wrestler. Uh, so I would have just liked to see Owens quicker, but there was nothing, like, bad about this match. Yeah, I agree. Uh there was a match that was advertised that they didn't air. It ended up being the main event of the show, I believe, which was Bailey, Charlotte, and Alexa Bliss. So uh, we didn't get that. So we went to the main event, which was WWE Champion Kofi Kingston defeating Dolph Ziggler and Samoa Joe, 12 minutes, 15 seconds. Good main event, good layout, and obviously not a lot of drama in a title change, but it was fun. Yeah, I I enjoyed this match. Again, nothing like super special. It's only 12 minutes. If if they get five more minutes, they probably have a better match. But for a house show main event, which is what this was, it was it was an enjoyable match and and the crowd was into it. There was this was a match with with really no drama because they they weren't doing the this title change here. So, you knew Kofi was winning and Ziggler and Joe had been beaten I mean by Kofi to where they they they, just, they didn't come off as super credible challengers, but just as a match, as a house show main event, it was a good match. Yeah, and again, so it was um it was nothing special, but for a one hour televised house show, I thought it was good for what it was, and uh, no no real complaints about it. And I don't mind these specials. I think it's something they should do more often, and they're probably going to do more often stuff like this and 
uh, evolve and probably progress to uh, counter-program AEW stuff, I would imagine. And, um, yeah, so, but, um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I have no problem with the occasional one-hour special. If someone was like, well, this was a useless pay-per-view. I'm like, well, it wasn't a pay-per-view. It was just a one-hour house show. Like, they branded it as a special, and, like, you didn't have to watch it. You know, if you thought it was going to suck and you weren't interested in it, why'd you watch it, you know? So, no big deal. I mean, I watch it because I cover it, and I made Jeremy watch it because I wanted to talk <laughs> about it and make him talk about it. And then left it off the rundown. That's right. I I had no issue with this show. If you didn't realize it was just going to be like the tail end of a house show, then I I don't know what to tell you. Again, I think if they're going to do these, I think a title change every now and again, kind of like what Impact does with Impact Plus and they change the the tag titles on the show literally the day before Slammiversary. Um if you're going to do these house shows and you're going to do them more often, like some type of title change or major happening gives you more of a reason to watch, but it's one hour. It's not like you're completely wasting your time on this show anyway. And that's why I think it was so good because it was just, it was a one hour easily digestible wrestling show. And I am all for one hour WWE themed shows because when you look at the one hour shows they produce, um, you look at 205 live NXT UK and NXT, all either pretty good to good shows every week, sometimes great, and then like the May Young Classic and Cruiserweight Classic stuff was always really good. So I'm all for one hour specials. Yes, for sure. So I mean, it's stuff to cover for me, which I like, and it's just they do a good job with one hour stuff. And um, yeah, but I I do agree they eventually have to do a title change or something kind of important to uh, make it seem worth your while. And, uh, yeah, it, like like you brought up, Impact did that with the tag title change, which was actually technically two days before Slammiversary, but still, I mean, they did that. That was a big shakeup. Nobody really expected it. And um, you have to do that to make people buy into these specials, and especially for Impact. I mean, they're trying to build a customer base. You know, WWE Network has an established 1.5 or so million subscribers, to whereas Impact Plus is still trying to desperately build up a base. So showing people that the occasional title change can happen is a good play and will make people more wanting to watch these shows. Yes. And a good segue there, actually, as we continue with Impact Wrestling. Uh, On Friday, there is an Impact Plus special, and the main event is a number one contenders match between Tessa Blanchard and Sammy Callahan, Jeremy. And uh, this is a rematch from Slammiversary, which was a really, really good match. And uh, the winner is the number one contender for the world title. And the the big question is, should Impact Wrestling go all the way with Tessa Blanchard as a world champion? Not a knockouts champion, a world champion. Um, I'm kind of torn on this, but I'm leaning towards yes, just because... What else has Impact got going on right now? And and that's not to to say like their their television has been terrible because we we talk about this all the time. Like it's good TV. Their events always are great, but this would be something just completely different that another promotion um, in the United States and in Japan. I, I maybe maybe in history maybe it's been done, but I can't think of any examples off the top of my head like it, it, that have never done it. So. And Tessa is 
like she's she's awesome like she looks good like she's not like a smaller girl she she's got a nice build to her we know she can wrestle we know she has like that attitude of yeah you can put her in there with the the men and it not come off as as fake um at least with the way she she carries herself and presents herself so yeah why like why couldn't you put the world title on tessa yeah, the only examples I can think of is I know in Chikara, Kimberly was the grand champion for a while, and I believe Miko Sadamura won the DDT title. Okay, but, those were the two promotions I was kind of thinking of, and no offense to Chikara or, or DDT, they are kind of more comedy-esque promotions, and they're not looked at as on a level of all the other top promotions in the United States and Japan. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I agree, but it's just uh, those are the only examples I can really think of. If I'm missing something, someone will probably correct me, but uh, as far as Tessa goes, it is, I'm kind of torn on it too, because... You look at Tessa, obviously she's great. She carries herself like a star. She wrestles like a star. She has the attitude. She has a great look. Uh, she, you know, she had a good, really good match with Jay Christ on TV. She had a really, really good, to, bordering on great match with Sammy at Slammiversary. So obviously she can work with the man. And a rematch with Sammy will... I mean, I definitely think it has a chance to be even better than a Slammiversary match because they've now had the one match. Now they have stuff to play off of. <clears throat> so you have that going for you. And then, like you said, it's like, no offense to Impact, but what else is really going on there? This would probably get some buzz for them. It might not all be good, because I'm sure people will rally against it, and you'll get the people talking about intergender wrestling is condoning uh, domestic violence and all this. Jim Cornette's going to have an aneurysm. Oh, yeah, yeah, which will probably make it even worth it, though. That's yeah. That's very true. So, but I mean, yeah, she looks like a star, wrestles like a star, acts like a star. Um, she delivers in the ring, and I think you could say she's arguably the biggest star in the company right now. Outside of Rhino. Sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm i not against saying Tessa is the biggest star in the company. I was trying to think of somebody who is there with her, but... I mean, let's be honest, there are no like real stars in that company, and Tessa is certainly presented in that way. So, yeah, I, I can get with that. Yeah, but she has the pedigree behind her, the Blanchard name, and then I think the only hesitation I have is you have that, like, it's that catch-22 scenario because they're still looking for a TV deal. And is this something that a TV network might not want? Uh... Maybe, and that would certainly be an issue. But I, I think nowadays, TV networks, I would hope, like they see wrestling as more of a sport. And so men competing with women, I mean, I guess unless you watch WWE tonight, and we saw murder try to be committed in the final scene. Um, but to see men take on women, it's more socially acceptable and even like almost championing, championing it with like, oh, yeah, the, the women can hang with the men. Like this is what they talk about in other sports, like, you know, equal quality and everything. So I don't think it's as big of a deal as maybe it may seem to a lot of people. But I don't know that for sure. I don't have any like TV insider knowledge. Yeah, I think that would be my only, honestly, my only real hesitation with it is because I, I don't know how it would impact the TV deal because 
you have to remember there was a thing it, it came down at different points for like WCW couldn't do man on woman violence and like uh, TNA wasn't allowed to do it eventually on Spike and stuff like that so I mean that might be my only hold up on it but as far as just star power and believability I mean I think she can I mean she can go and I just you need to do something you definitely need to do something because your company sucks that, that sounds really great after you're like, the TV's good and the specials are great, but your company's... <laughs> I mean, your your product is good. Your your company sucks. Yeah, and just like the, the overall impression and footprint is just unfortunately non-existent. So, I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to it. My Again, my only concern is how it might impact a potential TV deal. And God knows they all need a, potent, a, a new TV deal and soon. Uh, yeah, they they need they can't be on pursuit anymore. I mean, we we've talked about it, but that's that's just a losing a losing deal for them. Yeah. And speaking of quality segues, this worked out good. It's almost like I formatted the show. Um, <laughs> if Tesla becomes world champion, obviously that takes her out of the knockouts mix, which means you know you need some new talent in the knockouts division. Not that the knockouts division is bad by any means. There's a lot of women there, there's a lot of talent, but you need another name. And it was announced last night, uh, Monday night, that uh, Tennille Dashwood is signed with Impact Wrestling. Jeremy, she obviously the former Emma in WWE and NXT. She had a short, uneventful run in ROH uh, due to a combination of injuries and bad booking. And uh, there was a lot of speculation on a possible WWE return or a AEW signing. And she is now with Impact Wrestling and will debut in August at the tapings in Mexico. So your thoughts on Tennille signing the deal with Impact? I wish the best for Tennille because she was, you know, she was very underrated as Emma and what no matter which gimmick she was doing, everyone has nothing but praise for her. So she's obviously well liked in the business. Um and, and she's a good wrestler from what she showed in WWE. It's just she she went to ROH, they they their women's division is just non-existent or it should not exist. They had, they put no effort into the women of honor division, but we have ranted about that before. Uh, so she got a shitty deal there. They should have really built around her and turned that division into something instead to bully Ray just wants to get his girlfriend on television. Um, so I, I hope she does well in Impact. Their their knockouts division is really stacked right now. Like Jordan Grace, Taya, uh, Sue Young, Jessica Havoc, um, Tessa, if she goes back down to that division. Really, really a lot of talent in in the knockouts division. And adding to Neil is certainly a, a big addition for them. They should they should really build a lot more around this division. I hope they move away. They, they've kind of done it with the, the kind of otherworldly stuff, but with, with Havoc and uh, Sue Young back in the mix, like it's still kind of there. Uh, I, I'd like to see them move away from that just a little bit more. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, yeah, they they do have a lot of talent. You know, Kiara Hogan's getting a new push. Madison Rain's still there. Yeah, a lot of women to build around, and I think is a good addition. I think she's a... Unfortunately, I think the best way to kind of describe her right now is kind of unrealized potential because, you know, she had a lot of potential coming out of NXT and then, you know, she reinvented herself on the main roster and then they never really went hard with her. And, you know, we talked about the ROH run. They had a chance to 
get some buzz for the women of honor division. They could have built around her short term and, you know, they went with Sumi Sakai and Kelly Klein and yeah. And they haven't maximized the stardom relationship at all. So just missed opportunity. And I, I hope she gets number one. I hope she can stay healthy. And number two, I hope she gets a real chance to deliver because there's a, there's a lot of fresh matchups for her at impact, which is the really cool thing. Which is also why I was hoping like she would end up in like Impact or AEW or go to Japan because I just I wanted to see a bunch of fresh matches. And she's gonna get that. She would have had that in AEW, but she's definitely gonna get that in Impact. And I definitely think Impact needs her right now. And like you said, I'd like to see some more focus on the knockouts division. There's a lot of good stuff going on right now, a lot of good talent. Uh just needs a little more focus and strength put into it. And that's hard to do. They're trying to Trying to serve a lot of masters, trying to give the tag division enough time with who they have left. You know, they're trying to build the world title stuff. And then you have a, just had the X division title change to J. Christ. And uh, so they're trying to get time into that. So, but yeah, definitely. I would like to see some, uh, some more focus on X. I think there's a lot of potential there they can build off of. For sure. So definitely a good signing. And uh, I, I wish, like you said, wish her the best. And I hope it works out well for her. And impact. So we're going to move on to the previously mentioned AEW. And uh, they have announced, Jeremy, their first, uh, the first TV match for the debut show. And that is going to be Cody Rhodes versus Sammy Guevara. Your thoughts? It's a match. Um, it doesn't scream to me like if I'm a new viewer or someone like looking for a big announcement, it doesn't feel big to me, uh, as a, as a debut show. I'm sure that's not like the main event. It's probably like the opener or something like that, but it just, it doesn't feel huge to me. Um, it's an interesting match though, because you have a young guy in Guevara and then you have an executive vice president in Cody and is Cody going to take this loss and, or it's, it's bad optics sort of if he wins, because it's like, well, of course this guy is going to put himself over this young talent and, you know, AEW fans will defend like, well, let the story play out and all this stuff. So that's why it's a, it's an interesting match because I'm, I'm curious as to how they book this match. And I'm curious to just how they book on TV in general because there's going to be a lot of heat on the elite guys if they're kind of taking up that TV time and and winning all of these matches. And we still have to get through All Out. Uh, Cody has to face Spears, Guevara. I would think Guevara's got to be in some type of decent position uh, to kind of justify this match with Cody, unless they're both coming off losses. But Guevara lost to Kip Sabian, so that that's not great. Like he he needs a singles victory to really justify this win, especially if Cody is going to or justify this match, especially if Cody is going to beat uh, Sean Spears. So still a lot at play. But like when the match was announced this afternoon, I was like. Okay, that like that's a match. It's not something I'm like super excited to see or feel like I'd go out of my way to see if I wasn't, you know, just watching this show weekly. Yeah, I saw the announcement. And that was pretty much my first thought. I was like, well, that's a match. Like, I don't think it's bad, but um, I, I definitely think it's a clash of styles. Guevara is obviously a more flashy, high high intensity wrestler, to where Cody really thrives in more of a storytelling format. 
And, um, you know, it's not like Cody can't go with guys, but, like, I just remember at ROH on one of the, uh, the New Japan tours, he got to work with Hiromu Takahashi and had about the most boring and bland Hiromu Takahashi match I ever saw in my life. And it's like, how the fuck do you do that with Hiromu? But Cody did it. Just a lot yeah, of Cody... coming to the town and all that shit. And so... Cody, Cody's work is certainly, I'm not like the biggest fan of it for the most part. Like he's had good matches. There, there's no denying that. Like the man has had like really good matches in AEW. Like the Dustin match was fantastic, but there's a, there was a story to that that you're not telling with, with Sammy Guevara, but even like the Darby Allen match was, was very good. Um, so he's, he's having good matches and stuff. I will certainly be interested to see if he can have that match with Sammy Guevara, but I'm just more interested in the, in the booking just to see how they're going to book this show, knowing kind of the heat that could be on them if they book it a certain way. And, you know, Guevara is one of their, their young guys that they would seemingly have hopes for. And this is a way to, you know, get them going early. Yeah, it would be. And like I said, uh, the booking will be the most interesting thing. And, uh, I'm going to be really also interested to see how the styles mix up. And like, I mean, cause I've really enjoyed AEW Cody so far much better than ROH Cody. And well, um, that's, that's ROH's fault. I'll just blame them. Well, I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't really argue with it, but yeah. So, but it's just, I, I've really enjoyed a lot of his AEW stuff so far, but I'll, I'll be interested to see how they work together and how it comes out. And the other thing they did announce for the TV debut is uh John Moxley will be on the show. So, a full-time wrestler is going to be on a full-time wrestling promotion show. True. It does feel <laughs> a little silly, but I mean, I think it's important to announce that he's going to be there with tickets going on sale. Sure. I like, why wouldn't Moxley be there though? He could be in training camp for blood sport, man. That's before that, but still he might be recovering from blood sport. Who knows? He might be out at a bar with the panty dropper shooter Umino. Uh, that's, a, that's a fair reason to, to miss the show. Yeah. And if you guys have not watched the, the Moxley English interviews after the New Japan stuff, him and shooter Umino, number one, we need a buddy comedy with those guys. I mean, th- those, those two are fantastic. Yeah, Moxley put him over, said he had great hair. He said, look at him, ladies, he's a panty dropper. Uh, Moxley has been so good in New Japan. Um, I like his Spanish promo to a Japanese audience uh, after beating Naito. Uh, yeah, big fan of what uh, the Mox is doing right now. And it's good that he's going to be on this first AEW show. I never thought that was really in any doubt. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, but that's what we know right now. And uh, tickets go on sale Friday. Uh, Jeremy, do you think they're selling out the TV debut? Uh, I do. I do think they will sell out the TV debut. I've kind of gone back and forth on it, but because it is a, it's a big deal. Like it's, it's your debut on TNT. It is a bigger arena. It's not like some small arena or anything like the, it used to be the MCI center. I don't know what the fuck they call it now, but, uh, the arena or the Verizon center, that that was another name. If that isn't the new name, um, it's a, it's a, it's a fairly good sized arena, but I think they'll end up selling it out. 
the, the tickets are priced very well. I do give them a lot of credit for, and they, they've done this with uh, literally all of their shows, and this is how they've easily sold out. Not to say they wouldn't if tickets weren't a little bit more expensive, but they they price themselves very well for these shows. Yeah, I think they definitely have a good chance to sell it out because it is the first show. It's their debut TV show on TNT. And, uh, I mean, you have to price things reasonably because that's not going to be a fly-in crowd like All Out. No, definitely not. Like, you're the, the people that are going to come to this show are within the vicinity of Washington, D.C. Yeah, so, uh, but I definitely think because of just the overall goodwill they've done building up so far and how their track record of ticket sales so far definitely think it has a good chance will not be surprised if it sells out at all and um yeah so i it, like i said i'm not going to say 100% they will because it's wrestling nothing is 100% and um yeah so definitely has a good chance for that uh, it'll be interesting and uh yeah if they sell out that'll that'll look good because uh they're running, it's, it's like 13, 14,000 seat building. And, you know, WWE for Raw, a lot of times will do like 8,000 in a building that size. And SmackDown will maybe do four sometimes. So, I mean, if they can sell out, I mean, that's great. But again, let me clarify, as we've talked about many times, Jeremy, it's great if they do it week one and it's great when they do it for the pay-per-views. But can you sell big every week and make it a constant thing? Yeah, that this is why I think they will sell out also is because it is the first show. It's it's not going to be a fly-in crowd, but I do think you'll get a better travel than expected just because it's the first show like people will expect something historic. Um there's also a lot of time. I don't know if it's going to do that instant sellout on Friday. It might and this whole this whole thing will be moot. Uh but if if you're on the fence or something honestly wait until after um all out because they're probably going to do something big at all out that's gonna make you be like all right i've got to be there for that first television show and maybe you already think that and so you're like well i've got to be there for that first television show uh but as you said it's gonna do well because it's the the first ever aew on tnt show the the real telling thing will be the 50th well maybe not the 50th because that's an anniversary the 43rd ever aew on tnt show yeah so that'll be really interesting interesting to see how it plays out and uh yeah wrestling obviously gets really interesting in october man with aew debuting smackdown moving to fox and uh rumors that billy corgan is going to try to start some kind of tv even if it's online for the nwa um, just a lot of stuff potentially going on. So speaking of kind of big news, the big show was in the news on Tuesday, Jeremy. <laughs> the big show, uh, Netflix has green-lighted a new half-hour multi-camera family sitcom that will air and star WWE uh, star The Big Show. The first season of The Big Show show will be uh, 10 episodes. And uh, in the series, the teenage daughter of the Big Show, a retired and uh, world-famous WWE superstar, comes to live with him, his wife, and his two other daughters. They soon outnumber and outsmart him. Despite being 7 feet tall and 400 pounds, Big Show is no longer the center of attention in his family home. Are you excited for the Big Show TV series, Jeremy? Yeah, sure. It's it's a half-hour comedy on Netflix. Uh, there's, what, 10 episodes? It's... 
you can easily binge it. I think the big show has a very good personality. Like, I don't know if you, you've seen him on the, the shows that he's done, but he comes across very well. Like he's a, he's a funny guy. He's a, he's a charismatic guy. He was the star of the water boy and, and jingle all the way. Uh, I, I like the big show. I, shit. I stay up late and, and write all day and all night. I can throw on a half hour mindless big show comedy and, and get through it in a day and a half or something. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I like Big Show a lot. I think he's uh, even in WWE. He's had shown like very good comedic timing, and uh, then like his various uh, forays into guest star roles on TV shows and in film and stuff. He's done really well. And honestly, I'm just I'm glad that he's finding something outside of wrestling now. Because uh, there was just a special on the WWE Network that talked about like his uh, hip operations and all the shit he's had to deal with over the years and. You know, it's nice when guys find success out of wrestling. He's obviously put in a long career, and he's done a lot of good stuff, and just uh, he has a great mind for wrestling, and it's always good to hear him talk about stuff and what he wanted to do when when he came back, and, like, he wanted to put Braun over because he thought, like, you know, he's like, the monsters are leaving. He's like, I'm finishing up. Kane's finishing up. Mark Henry's finishing up. He's like, we need a new monster. So he came back to put Braun over, and I love that. And uh, but just to see him finding something outside of wrestling that could turn into—I mean, if it if it does well, it could turn into more seasons, and I, that would be great for him. Yeah, I again, I, I'll watch this show. I've watched worse. Oh yeah, well, I definitely have watched worse TV, but I will I will give him a shot, and I hope he does well. And um, we watch Raw for three hours every Monday. Oh, don't fucking remind me, dude. <laughs> Although Monday's Raw was not horrible. It was good. I, I enjoyed Monday's Raw. I thought there was a, a lot to like about it. So, I mean, on the on the WWE scale of things, it was a very good show. Yeah, I thought they did some some good stuff. There were some good wrestling matches. You had the big, uh, the big Brock Lesnar angle with Seth. You had the big uh, Roman Reigns, Samoa Joe angle stuff. And, yeah, a lot of that stuff came off good. Love that Cedric is uh, seemingly going to get some kind of push here, which would be great. And, uh, yeah, there was a lot of stuff I did like about that show. Much better than the usual fare. Yeah. That was also reportedly the first heavily Heyman-influenced show, so take that for what you will, but... Well, the Tonight Show was... Tuesday Smackdown was definitely the first uh, Bischoff show with the cliffhanger at the end. Oh, yeah, Roman Reigns almost dying. I mean, it looked like he did, but then he didn't because he's the big dog. Yeah, a fucking lighting truss fell on him, and then he just got up and walked away looking slightly concerned. Yeah, he was like, eh, eh that kind of sucked. Like, you could see, I, I actually, like, paused the video. You could see it landed on some stuff, and so it didn't completely crush him. But it was definitely shot. Like, it was looked looked like it was supposed to crush him uh so it what a weird segment but the the intrigue is in the the who done it who drove the white hummer rikishi brother rikishi <laughs> drove it and tried to run him down that's what's happened i don't know billy kidman in the white hummer he's backstage could be so yeah that was a uh yeah the big dog almost died on smackdown but uh we will move on now, Jeremy, back to our G1 coverage. We head to night nine. We start off, Kota Ibushi defeating Lance Archer, 11.45 via pin. Great match. Ibushi is awesome. Lance Archer continues to be great in this fucking tournament. And uh, 
again, it is awesome to see him having this uh, late career renaissance here in the G1. I really enjoyed this match. Ibushi rules, as you said, Lance Archer has been great. Um, I, I love the finish where he hit the uh, Bumaye and you know Archer uh, stood up, so he, he dropped the knee pad and um, or then he hit the the Kamagoye and then Archer just like collapsed. Just a really really good finish. Continues to put over Archer strong, and even though he's losing these matches to these top guys, like he looks impressive in every single one of these matches. And, and if you lose, but still look impressive, like you don't lose too much. So uh, yeah, fantastic match between these two. Yeah. And um, as I've said before, make Lance Archer, the new new Japan monster, put Fale in tag matches or and just be done with them. No more single you, matches for Fale. You mean Fale didn't impress you against young William Osprey in the next match? Okay, before we talk about it, Bad Luck Fale has the distinction of having two fucking bad matches in the G1 with Will Ospreay and Kota Ibushi. Yeah, not good. How the fuck could you do that? Not not good at all. Fale is not good. Um, the Bullet Club stuff with him. I, I liked the, the finish to the Fale and Osprey match. I will give them that. Uh, the the actual match itself um, wasn't good. The finish was a callback to last year where Red Shoes is like, fuck your bullshit, and he flips them off and he DQs them. Love Red Shoes. Yeah, Red, the, the Red Shoes history with the Bullet Club is fantastic. It's various things he's done in the past. There was like a match a couple years ago when the Young Bucks were trying to walk out on a title defense and he stops them in the aisle, flips them off, and then crotch chops them. And then the best <laughs> part is Nick and Matt almost take a bump off the fucking crotch chop. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah Red Shoes is great. But yeah, um, Will Ospreay did his very best to try to have a good match. He went a million miles an hour. He bumped like a maniac. There was a bunch of Bullet Club bullshit. Bad Luck Fale moving at a glacial fucking pace. Referee bump, and then Red Shoes came out, teased he was going to count the Fale pin, flipped him off, and DQ'd him. Yeah, uh, not a great match. Good finish. Yeah, the finish was at least amusing, but oh, just a bad... When you're having a bad match with Will Ospreay in 2019, you need to reevaluate life. For sure. Next up, Evil defeated Zack Sabre Jr., who is being tormented by the lack of talk on British politics. It's uh it's a tough time for young Zach Jeremy and he uh drops one to evil here at sixteen minutes. They had a good match, I thought. Uh as always, love Zack Sabre Jr. Always gonna be a fan of his matches. Not the best Zack Sabre Jr. match ever. I blame Evil. Um and I blame Notaka and I blame whoever this is this British guy is that is ruining Zack Sabre's G one run. Um yeah, evil evil wins. It, it was fine. Maybe a little long. I think if you if you actually trim this match, it, it's it gets better. Uh, but it, it's it's tough to have a bad match with with Zack Saber Jr. just because of his style. Yeah, so it was good. Uh, evil picks up a big win. Hiroshi Tanahashi then defeated Sonata. Eighteen minutes, ten seconds. Uh, I thought it was good, but they've had much better matches in the past. I, I enjoyed this match. Tanahashi's G1 run. I, I actually liked the, the match um, he, he had against Evil a couple of nights later. Uh, but as far as this match goes, 
Yeah, I, I haven't seen as much of their past work as you. I will trust your opinion that they've had better matches. I certainly believe they could have a better match than this because Tanahashi is typically a little bit better than this. And, and Sonata's G1 run has been really good. And, and this wasn't like that fantastic performance that he's had earlier in the tournament with, with guys like Ibushi. So I believe they can have a, a better match together. But I, I enjoyed this. Yeah, I'm enjoying a lot of the Tanahashi stuff in here. He's uh, you know, he's the uh he's the old uh, gunslinger here. He's doing what he can with what he has left and just being really crafty and it, it makes for a lot of good stuff in the matches and I I really enjoy it. It's a again one of those little stories we always talk about that goes on during the G1. So and then the main event was uh, Okada defeating Kenta at just under 27 minutes. Uh, you can follow this into Larry was wrong, Folder. I thought Kenta might pull off the win here to set up the October title defense, but uh, Okada pulls it out. Thought they had a great match, a lot to enjoy here, but Okada remains undefeated at this point. Okada is just burning through fools in this tournament. Um, really enjoyable match. They they got it close enough to the 30 minutes that it looked like it could be a time limit draw, so I thought it was smart to get that within that final five minutes there to give it that extra sense of urgency in those final five minutes. Uh, Okada is Okada. Kenta's G1 run has been really strong. He's Whatever it is, whether it's just being back in Japan, whether he's healthy, whether he could just go out there and be unleashed and, and not be he's clearly trusted where i think in wwe he wasn't trusted because of his injury history and so that hurt him whatever it is with kenta a lot of things are clicking with him right now in this g1 run uh and a, and a really good match yeah so okada undefeated at this point so we move on to uh when we got here night 10 right yeah night 10 and uh back to b block action and uh, we have, starting off, Hiroki Goto defeated your boy, Toriyano, one minute and 40 seconds via pin. This was all Yano shenanigans trying to outsmart Goto, but in the end, the Sublime Master Thief got outsmarted and uh, dropped one to Goto. They have a history of very short G1 matches, uh, averaging something like three minutes and 45 seconds, I believe Kevin Kelly said. And this was another short one here. Goto needed to win. Uh, Yano's antics remain tons of fun. A uh, great match, wrong winner. How did I know you would say that? <laughs> because that's my my analysis for every match that Yano loses. Fair enough. I can give you that. Next up, in one of the best matches of the tournament, Big Tom Ishii defeated Juice Robinson 17 minutes 55 seconds via pin. Best way to describe this was just an all-out war, Jeremy. This match fucking ruled. I did not expect this one. Um, and that's nothing against Ishii or Juice. Uh, I mean, Ishii's awesome. Juice has had a, a really good uh, run here. But like, they really went out there. Th this was... We know Ishii's style, um, kind of his hard-hitting, hostile, uh, and, and Juice really went out there, sort of like the Moxley match, to like prove a point that he wasn't taking any of this bullshit, that he's a different person, and he's willing to like fight these guys, not just wrestle them. And like everything clicked with this match. I, I love this match. 
Yeah, and th- these are the matches that like I this they make the G one for me when you just got these matches like Ishii is just like this is his fucking wheelhouse when he's in the G one, just goes out there and has bangers with like everybody, and then like you said, yeah, Juice came into this, he was taking no shit, he gave as good as he got from Ishii and just absolutely like obviously Ishii is great and we all know that and we talk about it all the time but. Really inspired performance from Juice here. Another excellent match for him this year. Um, coming off the excellent match with Moxley. And he's had some great ones here in the G1. So, yeah, this was uh, definitely probably like top five in the G1 right now. Just really good stuff. I know some people that liked it even more than I did. And uh, obviously wouldn't complain about that at all. I went like four and a half on it. Just excellent stuff. And I, I love seeing Juice stepping up like this. He's having just a really good run. And... Again, that's a dude that I I I just loved. I've loved watching since you know, he leaves NXT. He decides to go to Japan. He goes to the dojo, and then like his first year, dude, it was I I could not get into him. He was a square peg in a round hole. You know, it took a long time for him to kind of deprogram himself, and then he started to do that. He started to get into the fold. He started to get over, and he's just. He's been a joy to watch the past couple of years. He he's been great, uh, really over the last year. Like I know his G one run last year, it wasn't it was good, but I, I know like the wins and losses weren't really there, and he wasn't presented as like a big threat. But he's really stepped up the, this last year uh, when he's been put in the bigger position. I think it started with the the Jay White feud and and winning the title there. Uh, he had some nonsense with, with Chase Owens that wasn't very good. But otherwise, like, his last year has been really strong. Yeah, so much love to Juice Robinson. Ishii continues to fucking rule. And uh, taking the lead in the MVP race because of bad luck Fallet screwing up Will Ospreay's average. Well, Ishii's got Fallet a little bit later on, so. No, he doesn't. Oh, they already wrestled? No, B-Block, man. Opposite block. Oh, no, well, I'm an idiot. <laughs> That's all right. But uh, anyway. He's got, uh, I don't remember if he's faced Yano. He's uh, faced Taichi. He did get a great match out of Taichi, so. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, so, and the Yano one might be fun. They had a fun match last year, actually, so. And and it's Yano, so yeah. of course it's going to be great. Yeah, yeah he got he got past Taichi. That's the, that's the fallet of this block, so. Ishii might might uh, be the MVP of this tournament. Yep. So up next, speaking of Tai Chi, the adorable Hawaiian Buddha Jeff Cobb defeated Tai Chi 12 and a half minutes. Uh, it was actually good. Not great by any means, but it was good. Tai Chi tried all of his tricks, tried to outsmart Cobb, but in the end, Cobb was just too powerful. I about, I thought Tai Chi about died when Cobb hit him with that power driver that looked like he was going for a power bomb and then turned it into a power driver, and I was like, oh my god, he's dead. Uh, I d- didn't care for this match. Tai Chi sucks. Um, Cobb was fine. I I just could not get into Tai Chi one one bit. It wasn't like a bad match, but uh, if it's a Tai Chi match, you're gonna have you're gonna have trouble hooking me in. Honestly, I can understand that because I have trouble with it from time to time too. And it's just especially when he goes shenanigans heavy. I just so can't do that. But uh. Next up, Jay White defeated Shingo just over 19 minutes via pin. Your thoughts? I uh, really enjoyed this match. Jay White is now kind of 
back on his bullshit after the the losing streak to start this this tournament. Um, Shingo, he, he's been he's having good matches. Um, I think this almost solidifies him as a as a junior because not to say he can't hold his own as a as a heavy, but he he stands out more as a junior. Um, but I I really enjoy Jay White. Yeah, and uh, again, the the strength of this match was uh, Shingo being a badass and Jay White's counter work, which is always really good. Yeah, I thought it was very good. I enjoyed it. And like you said, Jay White's kind of back on his bullshit because uh, he needs wins. So, uh, Which actually, again, that plays well after Chaos running the table on him. Um, so there you go. I liked the spot where Red Shoes was the, was the referee for this one. And... Jay White gets him in an early headlock and wants a two sweet from Red Shoes. Yeah. <laughs> Jay White's so good at the the little like talking and the little interactions during a match. So I I'm a big fan of Jay White. I also love some of the shit he does. Like uh Shingo was going for a German and he uh he kind of countered and uh tricked him into a Saido. And then later on Shingo was gonna kill him with the pumping bomber, but he just falls down. And it wasn't like that, um, it wasn't like the Kenny Omega spot in the Okada match where he collapsed out of exhaustion. No, Jay White falls down and then they get the camera on him. And he is just smiling like the biggest bag of douche. Because, yeah, he, I mean, it's so great. Yeah, uh, I, Jay, Jay White's really good in his role and he's a, he's a good professional wrestler as well. So, yeah, it's, it's a lot of that little shit I really enjoy. And then uh, we closed up this night of B-Block action with John Moxley defeating Naito in uh, 16 and a half minutes. Slightly surprising outcome because I think uh, people expected Naito to pick up the win and continue picking up wins as he was making his comeback. But uh, he fell to the Mox. Jeremy, your thoughts? Definitely surprising, at least at least from my standpoint, because Moxley had, and still is, undefeated. And... Uh, Naito dropped a couple of early ones, so it seemed like, okay, you got to kind of make this block close here. And Naito losing, I mean, I, I think we should talk about kind of where the standings are at the, the halfway point, which is what this was for, for both blocks. Um, and so Naito losing was like, oh, he really needs to make up some ground, and he needs a lot of help from uh, people to, to beat an undefeated Moxley. So... I was very shocked at this outcome. the The match was great. Um, they, I don't know if they can have a better match. It's possible the if they if they get a little bit longer. But I think the the what this go like sixteen seventeen minutes. I think that that worked for kind of kind of the the styles that they have because it is a it is an odd style mix. And I think if you do a longer match, you kind of run the risk of of that being exposed a little bit more. Yeah, uh, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a great main event. And yeah, the B-Block standings right now are Moxley at 10 points, Ishii and Juice at 6 points, Cobb, Taichi, Naito, Yano, uh, Goto, and Jay White, and Shingo all at 4 points. Yeah, so if you're if you're looking at the A-Block, it's Okada and Kenta with, with Tanahashi still in it because he's Tanahashi. Like The B-Block is, like it's Moxley and... 
he's got wins over the guys kind of right there with him that you would think are going to be right there in Ishii and in Naito. And he hasn't fought Jay White yet. And I think Jay White's probably going to make a, a late push here. But this is really Moxley's block to lose. And I'm interested to see how they book the rest of this because if these other guys are going to catch up, Moxley's going to have to take some losses. And, and he's got matches against like a like a Jay White and a Jeff Cobb. And I think he has uh, Tai Chi as well. And like you're, you're not – no, he, he had that shitty match with Tai Chi, didn't he? Yeah, it was like – it was kind of good. But yeah, he, uh, he has Juice Robinson left. He has Yano coming up next. Jay White – and uh, Goto, I think. Okay. Um, so if you're looking at Ed Moxley there, then yeah, maybe Juice gets gets a win back there. Jay White certainly possible. Could he be uh, tricked by Yano? I don't know. Like it sort of works for Moxley, but it almost hinders him, harms him in a way because he's been presented like such a badass that. If he's gonna fall fall asleep against Toriano, it's it's not the the best presentation of him. But he's got to pick up some losses somewhere around here because if they're gonna make this thing close at the end, and they obviously will, uh, the other guys got to win. It's really interesting right now because if you look at it, I mean, right now obviously a lot of things can change, but it's it's looking like an Okada clean sweep could happen in the A block. I mean, they're heavily teasing it with the 6-0 and start. And, uh, I mean, what if the plan is him and Mox for the finals? I mean, that'd be fucking fascinating, actually. It's, it's possible. I don't know if they go a double clean sweep. And if that's the case, like, that's kind of ballsy booking, if I'm being honest, to sort of have your your tournaments decided before you even get to the, the final night. Um, so it, it's, it's very ballsy, but if, if you go double clean sweep here with, with Moxley and Okada, like it sets up a, a, a huge, huge final. And then if Jesus, if Okada just runs through this whole thing and cause, cause Moxley, I think that's what may hurt it is a lot of people, at least the majority who are going to follow new Japan, uh from america maybe maybe the japanese fans don't don't care quite as much but i would assume the american fans who who know about new japan and follow it also know about aew and kind of the situation there there's not a whole lot of believability that moxley is going to to win this tournament because he can't be going to japan in in for tokyo dope show because i mean he's he's got his aew commitments by that point so it's a that takes a little bit of the intrigue out of it, unless unless there's more to the story that we don't know. And fuck, Moxley's gonna win, and AEW and New Japan are gonna announce this big partnership, and it's been a ruse this whole time. Yeah, it definitely would be interesting. So, uh, and now we move on to night eleven, which will catch us up on all of our G one goodness. And uh, hang on, is a uh, type for a second. All right, so A block action. Kota Ibushi defeated Bad Luck Fale nine and a half minutes. Again, as I mentioned earlier, Bad Luck Fale has the distinction of having bad matches with Ibushi and Will Ospreay. Just not good in any way. Ibushi tried. Fale just is so bad right now. But too long as well. Like, why is this going nearly ten minutes? Um, yeah, didn't didn't care for this match. Fale just not good. I, 
I hope he's not there next year. Like, I know you you like having that monster. Like, Archer is that guy at this point. If Fellow not only just has bad matches, like, you can't even use him properly in this thing because he should be a monster that destroys people, but you can't have him destroy people in this tournament. So he just gets exposed as having bad matches or just uh, or having long matches and bad matches or needing run-ins or doing some creative but ultimately ultimately like not great finishes like the the, the Zack Sabre stuff like it was creative and it and worked but it's also like it's a it's a kind of a cop-out finish and then the DQ finish like in the G1 you you sort of expect like clean wins and stuff like that so uh yeah Fale not gro- not good well the other thing is too people claim that it's like a night off it's like it's not a night off when you're working a 300-pound dude that stomps on you the whole fucking time and stands on your chest and back. And Yeah, um, Yano, Yano is a night off. Yeah, and there, I was going to say, there are people that complain about Yano, but at least Yano's fucking fun. Yano's yeah. fun. It's short. Like, Yano's not going 10 minutes. Um, and honestly, with the way they've laid out this tournament to where you get, like, two or three nights off, at, like, actual nights off, the, the night off argument loses a little bit of steam because of that because guys are like getting a week off um we've seen that now i think at least twice in this tournament where we've gone a full week where a guy hasn't had a match so the the night off thing you don't actually need the nights off in the matches because you're you're getting plenty of nights off uh when when you when they don't have events so i think next year like next year, depending on what they're able to to wrangle up, I know the the AEW and getting Moxley in here was a, was a big get, but the, their roster is already really good and it's, it's not going to get any worse over the next year. So next year could be a just a, a huge night if it's laid out the same way, or a huge tournament if it's laid out the same way, and they kind of take out your your Fales and Yanos. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, Abushi won thankfully, and. Um... Yeah, too long. It was bad. Moving on. Your boy, Zack Sabre Jr., defeated Big Match Willie Ospreay in 20 minutes uh, via submission. It was a great match. Obviously, uh, a lot of submission work from Zack Sabre, focusing on the previously injured neck of Will Ospreay. They did a really great job of uh, mixing in like counter-wrestling, the British wrestling, and like Will Ospreay's high-flying high stuff. Um, just really nice work. These guys work really well together. I thought it was great. And uh, a big win for Zack Sabre Jr. And uh, he's going to try to play spoiler now the rest of the time. Awesome match. It's tough to go wrong with Zack Sabre and Will Ospreay. The the styles clash is... It always works because, I mean, it, they clash, but they also complement each other. Because if you're a high flyer... Your, your goal to go against that guy would, would be to ground him with submission holds and working limbs and stuff. And if, and if you're a submission guy uh, against him, you, you want to stay away from those grappling exchanges. So you want to kind of take risk and, and, and use your speed and stuff. So it's, it's a clash in that they have very distinct and different styles, but it's also a, a kind of a classic clash to where it mixes perfectly. Uh, great, great match. I love both of these guys that they delivered here. Yeah. Like I said, it's hard to go wrong with these two. They pretty much deliver every time out. Good stuff. Uh, both not great records in the tournament, but really great performances overall. 
Next up, Okada defeated Lance Archer just over 14 minutes via pin. Uh, I thought it was really, really good. Um, again, they did a good job of making Lance Archer look like a monster. Okada had to throw like everything at him just to beat him. Uh, he had to survive just to get to that point. And uh, after the Kenta win, I was thinking Lance Archer might pick up the win here. Because I was like, you know, you need to build that challenger for October. And uh, nope, not happening, man. Uh, big big Kazoo just uh, running through the field. Running through everyone. Um, Archer looks strong again here. Another loss, but he's going to lose to these guys. He's a he's a bottom of the totem pole guy in this tournament and then this block. But there, you can tell the difference in booking between someone like him and, and Fale, where they're really putting Archer over strong in these losses. And even though he's losing, it's doing a lot more for him than Fallet, where they're technically trying to protect him by by doing DQ finishes and countout finishes, but he's just kind of looking like a goof and an idiot and just not that monster at all. So, and granted, Archer is just a much better worker and, and does a better job with these guys. But if you're just looking at a booking perspective, they're doing a better job putting Archer over with with the booking than they are Fallet. Exactly. And that's, again, that's, I think it's more important that he's being booked strongly and having really good matches. And, uh, it, again, I think it's awesome to see because, again, this is a guy two years ago that had back surgery and was contemplating retiring. He's 42 now, and he's back in the G1 after five years, and dude's killing it. It's a great yeah, story. For sure. So uh, next up, Sonata gets uh, get, picks up another win finally uh, as he uh, defeats Kenta. 16 minutes, 50 seconds via pin. Thought they had a good match. Uh, I thought there was a little bit of flow issues at times. It wasn't super smooth, but I thought it was good. And uh, Kenta picks up his second loss. Yeah, good match. Um, the, the outcome was very surprising because you would think Kenta would need to sort of keep pace with Okada to, to make the, the final night interesting. But Sonata, who is pretty much out of it, he gets the victory. And now Kenta's really fighting from underneath if they're going to have him there in the finals. And this is where it really looks like, all right, Okada's just going to run this block because the guys below him, uh, Kenta and Tanahashi, they're Okada is basically three games up on them because he he's beaten both of those guys. So unless Ibushi is going to have a, a strong run here at the end, then um, I mean, this is really Okada is going to the, the clean sweep theory holds a lot of weight right now. Yeah. Really interesting to see how it does end up playing out. And again, that's a, that's another fun part of the G one is when you get into this midsection and you're trying to figure out, how exactly is this playing out? And we had some names eliminated from contention, which we'll talk about after the main event. But main event was Hiroshi Tanahashi defeating Evil just under 23 minutes via pin. Thought they had a great match. Uh, just worked really well together. And uh, the old gunslinger pulls one out again, Jeremy. I love this match. Like, I, I really, I really love this match. Tanahashi, this guy is... Maybe it's my my love for Tanahashi and just the the way he he wrestles and is just willing to go out there and at 42 would just bust his ass in the middle of a G1. Like this is where like okay you start hot you kind of cool off in the middle and then you you get hot at the end with with your performances because you don't you don't want to just 
run run hot the entire time when you when you're 42 but the, this sort of night off i mean tanahashi does this every single year in the g1 and but the schedule really benefits him even more to where he he doesn't have to take the, those nights off uh this dude is busting his ass on uh cross bodies from the top to the floor like eating shit on high fly flows you know uh taking knees and everything it's like this man, he's a fucking legend for a reason, and I, I love Tanahashi's performance in this one. And I'm typically not a big fan of Evil. It worked well in this match. He he raised his level against Tanahashi and in the main event. But I I was I was really high on this match. Yeah, I enjoyed the hell out of it too. Great stuff, and yeah, and just like not to like kind of bang the New Japan drum too hard, but it's like seriously if. If you guys aren't watching and appreciating Hiroshi Tanahashi even this late in his career, seriously, jump on the wagon, man. You you need to. I mean, you want to talk about great wrestlers and storytelling and just making the most out of everything he's doing. I mean, this is a guy you need to be watching right now. Just an all-time great for many reasons. And yeah, just uh, seeing what he can still do in this G1 when you know he's had the arm injuries the past couple years, the legs are shot which is why he hasn't been doing a lot of high-fly flows and stuff like that. It's just really amazing to see what he's pulling off this late in his career. But uh, as it stands with A Block, Okada undefeated at 12 points. Kenta, Ibushi, and Tanahashi nodded up at 8 points, and Ibushi and Tanahashi are facing off next. Evil is at 6 points, and then the, the rest of the field is mathematically eliminated. Lance Archer, Zack Sabre Jr., Will Ospreay, and Sonata all at 4 points, and Bad Luck Palais at 2 they are only here to finish out the, the tournament and to play possible spoilers. So Osprey, Osprey is the surprising one there. I think after his best of Super Juniors run, like we knew he would have good matches. I expected him to to have more victories at this point as well. I thought he would be in the mix um, coming down the stretch here, and he's out fairly early. I mean, this was a really strong block, so it's not too surprising. Like we knew Okada, Tanahashi, and Abushi. You put those three in there, like those are going to be your your top three in there and then they threw kenta in there as well so this was a a really strong block to start with but osprey's the the surprising name for me there yeah me too i thought he'd be close to like in that top three mix heading into the last couple nights but um he's having great matches outside of the foul a match which wasn't his fault obviously but yeah just um he's had a great tournament and um but yeah definitely surprising that he didn't pick up more wins so that's uh, night 11. Night 12, Jeremy, we got looking forward to coming up. We have uh, the adorable Hawaiian booted Jeff Cobb versus Shingo, which will be a big lads banger match. We have your boy Toriano versus John Moxley. Very interested in that match for the reasons I, I laid out earlier because Moxley, he's got to lose at some point. And uh, Yano has, has beaten Jay White and naito in this tournament so he's got like wins over former champions so it's a maybe that they were setting it all up to to make you believe yano could potentially win this match because they've got me believing that yano can win this match yep uh juice robinson versus naito they've had some great stuff in the past so i'm looking forward to that one taichi versus jay white and then the main event here of uh night 12 will be Big Tom Ishii versus Hiroki Goto, and they've had some really great matches in the past as well. 
Yeah, Goto's a, a geek, but him and Ishii is always pretty, pretty fantastic. So, and in the the main event spots, I'm sure people may question why it would be in the main events over like a uh, Naito and Juice because Juice has certainly earned his stripes. But Ishii and Goto have really good chemistry, so I'm expecting that to be a strong match. Uh, Jay White and Tai Chi, I think that could not be that great. That could kind of be a mess. Yeah, uh, it would not be Jay White's fault. Yeah, just because of the styles they're going to bring in and stuff. And yeah, it's uh, like I said, definitely could be a mess. So uh, that uh, wraps us up, Jeremy. We are now all caught up on our G1 coverage for now. And uh, that's going to close us out for this week. Remember, you're listening to the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, and of course, the 411mania.com website. Please make sure to subscribe and share the show around. And if you have time, leave a five-star review on iTunes. Jeremy, anything you got in closing? No. Um, the G1 has been really fun. And I'm glad Roman Reigns is, is still alive. And yeah, we'll be back next week to talk more G1 and all the damn shows that are happening in Toronto. That's right. Yes, thankfully the big dog is alive. He, uh, a lighting rig can fall on him and he can walk away slightly concerned, but okay. Big dog strong. That's right. So yeah, that'll wrap they're, us up. Oh, okay. They're just setting. They're just setting you up for Hobbs and Shaw when you're going to see men jump out of helicopters and and somehow like onto a tank burning in fire and somehow live to tell about it. Yeah, that's fine. I want to see that movie. So. Oh, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. I um when we went to the movies past couple times they've had like trailers for it and I'm just like holy shit this movie looks stupidly fun. Yeah, it's the Fast and Furious movies are so great. It's amazing how that franchise went from like illegal street racing and basically a, a point break uh remake to the these motherfuckers are are saving the world and and catching like the biggest criminals ever and who knows but what what a franchise this is the biggest surprise is the fact that they survived tokyo drift and <laughs> they did survive tokyo drift so but yeah um, definitely that like i said it's just it looks like stupid fun that i will enjoy and probably dvr and watch all the time in my background when i'm working so whenever it comes out so yeah it's a uh, yeah definitely looks fun so, yeah, that'll wrap us up. Jeremy, thank you as always for your time, my friend. Yes, of course. I'm here anytime you need me. All right. Again, thank you, guys, and we'll talk to you next time.